church, and good morning those who will be listening online, wherever you are. Good evening or good afternoon. <laughs> but uh, we are going to be looking again at the life of Joseph. Yeah, I've done four series. This will be the fifth one. And uh, it's, it's a whole great life. And we are just hinting at some major points in Joseph's life. Today we are looking at Genesis chapter 45, verses 1 through 15. And I have titled the message, The God Who Knows the End, A Revealing Grace. The God Who Knows the End, A Revealing Grace. So let's go to Genesis 45. I don't know if it will be on the board there, but I'll read it for you. Those of you who have your phones or your Bibles, please uh, turn with me to Genesis, the first book of the Bible, so you don't have to struggle to look it up. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him, while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near me. So they came near him. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Hurry, go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. You shall be near to me. You and your children, your children's children, your flocks, your herds, and all that you have, there I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty. For there are still five years of famine, and behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. 
So you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and all that you have seen, and you shall hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And after that, his brothers talked to him. The God who knows the end. The last time we talked about Joseph, he has moved from his prison cell to the palace. And he was made the second in command in Egypt. Big position. Now you will think that was a great moment. Yes, it was. But what we have in chapter 45 is even better. This was the finest and climatic moment of this whole journey of Joseph. And here we see Joseph acting more like Jesus. One of the types of Jesus in the Old Testament. And this story is by far the most that we can say this man's life was like Jesus. It is the story where we see Joseph offering grace, amazing grace to his brothers who stood before him who deserved nothing but judgment, a hammer on their heads. You and I, before God, deserves nothing but a condemnation. And Jesus came on the earth, <clears throat> suffered, went to the cross, and took upon himself my sin and your sin. Why? Because of God's grace. Joseph demonstrates that in our passage today. We're going to look at three things. First, we're going to look at the pardoning of Joseph's grace to his brothers. The pardoning of Joseph's grace. <clears throat> now, Joseph, before this time, had all his brothers and in chapter 43 and 44, he was going to detain Benjamin, his younger brother, but the second best that Jacob had, because he had loved his beloved son Joseph, assuming that he's dead. And the brothers come, they've got their food, and they're ready to go. And Joseph hid his silver cup in Benjamin's sack. And so, after they left, after dinner, they all left, happily going back to Canaan, rejoicing that they've got food. They're taking back food to their father and their family. And all of a sudden, a servant of Joseph comes behind them and says, Hey, guys, wait a minute. 
How can you be so wicked? We've treated you nicely. And you've stolen the prime minister's silver cup. They go, no, we don't do that. We are honest people. Well, a search. And they searched the sacks, and the cup was in Benjamin's sack. Now, Joseph is a tricky guy, you know. <laughs> he had put this there, and he was working something out. And so they come back, and they're pleading with Joseph, and he said, well, yeah, I'm going to detain Benjamin, and you guys can go home. And the brothers were like, no, we can't afford to have this. Not the second time for a father to lose his favorite son. No, no. And Judah said, hey, I'm going to take his place. Jail me. Put me in jail instead of him. Let him go. Our old man will be dead when we get the news to him. Now, Joseph has seen this change in their hearts. And so he tells his servants, everybody move out. And he goes somewhere and begins to weep, to shed tears. So Joseph sheds tears for his brothers, verse 2. Why? I want to suggest there were tears of joy for seeing all his ten brothers, particularly Benjamin. But it was tears of joy also for knowing that the brothers have had a change of heart. You remember back in chapter 37, what did they do to Joseph? They saw him coming and they called him that dreamer. Not our brother. They put him in a dungeon. They sold him for 30 pieces of silver. But look at now, here, they can't afford to repeat that. And Joseph is weeping and said, what a change. What a transformation. These guys must have learned. So the tears of joy for seeing that they could stand up for Benjamin. A change of heart from the color stance they had when they treated him. And so he weeps. He weeps. He was so loud that the servants heard him. Also note that before this time, Joseph had been speaking through an interpreter. The brothers spoke Hebrew, and Joseph heard them, everything they said. But he, having lived in Egypt for 19 years, will now speak like an Egyptian. It's like somebody asked me the other day, you don't speak like an American. I said, no, because I spent 47 years in Sierra Leone speaking my Sierra Leone Accent, I'm not going to change after 47 years. <laughs> no way. 
My youngest daughter who came with us in America, she was six years old. If she speaks now, you would think she's American. Sometimes she thinks she is. <laughs> well, she is American citizen, but she speaks fluent accent, no accent, no Sierra Leone accent. I would speak and they say, nah, you're not American. You, you have accent. I say, yeah. But Joseph, before this time, will now speak like an Egyptian, and he will speak through an interpreter. But everything his brothers will say, he will hear. Because he spoke in Hebrew. And so, after he sent the people away, and he weeps, here comes the moment. Here comes the moment. Joseph reveals his true identity to his brothers. He's in Hebrew, Oni Hosuf. Whoa. And before they could get over the shock, he asked them, Is my father alive? Before they could get over that shock, also, he tells them again, Oni Hosuf. I am Joseph, whom you sold. Uh-oh. So he spoke to them in Hebrew, I am Joseph. He spoke to their heart, is my father alive? Now, from 37 to now, Joseph has said to them, how is your old man? How's your father, the old man that you talk about? Before chapter 45, verse 3, Joseph has said, your father. And now, in verse 3, he says, is my father alive? He speaks to the heart. We are one. He spoke to their conscience. I am Joseph, whom you sold. And by this time, the brothers are like, oh, my word. What is he going to do now? We're in trouble. We are in trouble. But what a grace. After Joseph had made himself known, in verse 4, he said to his brothers, please come near me. He shows love and forgiveness to his brothers. Please come near me. You remember? They have separated him from them, put him in a dungeon. They were eating the meal, and he was there languishing, and they sold him to foreigners, and here he is. After over 20 years, he said, come near me. He may have heard that they were scared that Joseph might use his Egyptian authority to squeeze them. But no, come near me. This is not time for sweet revenge. Come near me. I am your brother. You are my brothers. He reassures them, don't grieve and be angry with yourself. 
Don't grieve. Don't be angry with yourself. I am your brother. He embraces and kisses them. They had abandoned him. They have left him for dead. But here he is, embracing them and kissing them. Remember one of the words Jesus said on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What a picture here. They deserve nothing like this for their callous and heartless acts to Joseph. But here he is. Come near me. Don't worry. Embrace and kiss. What an example. What an example of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he shows love. But he also educates them on how God has used their act of mistreatment to advance his cause and make Joseph's dream come through. <clears throat> he teaches them a lesson about the grace of God, the power of God, and the purpose of God. So that brings us to a second point the preserving grace of God for his people. So the pardoning grace of Joseph is shown to his brothers, even though they did not deserve it. But we see God's preserving grace for his people. Joseph tells something great and important about the God of this book. He was trying to impress on his brothers that his coming to Egypt was not by accident or by their treachery. He was trying to impress that. He was also trying to say God had a bigger plan and purpose for his life and he has worked that perfectly well. So, verse 5 he says, but now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you. God sent me before you. In three times that is stated. In verse 5, God sent me. In verse 7, God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth. And to save your lives by a great deliverance. In verse 8, God has made me a father to Pharaoh. You did not send me here, but God. In 1981, a rabbi, a well-known rabbi, Harold Kushner, wrote a book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. It became a bestseller. I remember as a chaplain in America, many people who asked for that book. They want to read it. Well, the thesis of that book was that God is powerful. God is all-loving. 
But he allows bad things to happen to good people. And don't blame God because he, he, he doesn't have the power to make it not happen. So forgive God for letting it happen to you. That's the thesis of his book. It was a bestseller. But Joseph and the book, this book that I read, the God of this book that I read says, no. Your God is not just all loving, but God is all powerful and that he can make bad things that happen to you and to me, his people, he can walk through them and make them for my good, your good, and for his glory. So Joseph is saying to his brothers, and to kick against Harold Krishna's theory, you thought it evil for me, but God has worked it good for me. He is all-powerful and all-loving, the same God. When Jesus was crucified on the cross, the Jews who did it said, let's kill him, let's get him out of the way and see what becomes of his dreams. That's what they thought. They didn't know that that cross was leading to the resurrection and it will lead to the second coming. Hallelujah. We as Christians in this world, we have not been vaccinated against the ills of the world just because we put on the cross and the name of Jesus on ourselves. That's not a vaccination. If anything, if you read Jesus' word in John chapter 19, in the world, but in me, you will have peace. People are going to come at you, they're going to come at me, just because you stand for the name of Jesus. Don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. And Joseph is teaching the lesson here. God had a bigger plan and purpose for his life. His brothers thought they were going to ruin it. And he says, no. No. God is greater than the things that happened to me and to you. He can turn them around. But sometimes he can make us walk through the fire, like Daniel. Like Daniel in the lion's den. He did not prevent Nebuchadnezzar from putting Daniel in that lion's den. But he walked with Daniel in it. And that is the God that I serve. That is the God of this book. That is the God that Joseph is saying to his brothers, you thought it was evil, but God had it all planned. And he has brought me here to be your savior. And in that explanation between verses 5 and 8, 
Joseph teaches us something about reconciliation. He was able to reconnect and reconcile with these brothers who have been mean to him. And there are two things we have to note. In verse 5 through 8, one, reconciliation begins with the right attitude. At the heart of every relationship is having the right attitude. Joseph's attitude was that my life is in God's hands. He has a plan for me. And he's going to work it out. Now, don't get me wrong. It was not easy for Joseph to go through the things he went through. I mean, he will not be sitting in that jail and say, oh, man, God, you really know what you're doing here. Or in that dungeon. I'm not saying it is easy, it was easy for him. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying he did not change his trust in his God because of the circumstances and the events around him. That is what is called a child of God. When the going gets tough and you're there to say, he knows what he's doing. I don't know. I don't understand. I trust him. I trust him. Now you, you know, you're not going to be laughing and, and jumping. I am not. You can still be sad. You can still cry. You can still weep in that suffering. But you have that inner peace to say, I have a God that's bigger than me. That's bigger than this. That's Joseph. His attitude was, God was in control. Dungeon, slavery, false accusation, prison. God was in control. And we read in the episode between 37 and 45, and verse chapter 50, the theme was God was with Joseph. God was with Joseph. That same God is with you, is with me, even when the lights go off in my life. Even when the crowds come at me. That God is there. And so Joseph reconciles with his brothers. He listened to their confessions and realized they had finally come to a place where they were genuinely sorry for what they had done to him all the years. He saw the changes. They would not leave Benjamin and go back. It would be too much for their father, they say. And so he says, yes, they've learned. His brothers drove him away. He called them to come near. His right attitude for Joseph was, God sent me here. God did this. God did that. Yes, you did your part, but it was all in that big plan of God. It was all in that big plan of God. 
Could God have saved, pulled Joseph out of the dungeon and done something different? You bet he could have. But he let it all go through. He let it all go through because he had the end in mind. Did Joseph understand it all? No way. Do I understand all that happens in my life? No. But one thing I understand, one thing I know for sure, I serve a God that don't just see the now, but sees the end. And I'm going to hold on to him until he brings me to that end. And Joseph is saying to you, to me, let us do the same. The people who contribute to the wickedness around us, maybe even our own family members, our own church members, our workplace colleagues, or distant relatives, yes, they may be doing it with their own plan, but in your life and in my life as children of God, God's plan will never be thwarted. What he has for you, what he has for me, will come to pass no matter who stands in the way, no matter who seeks to destroy it. Amen? He surely will. If something takes place in your life or mine, it does so only because God allows it. Now, this is not fatalism. This is not, you know, well, you know, anything goes, you know, everything is God. No. I'm saying, because you're a child of God, because you're ch I am a child of God, anything that happens to me, he knows. And he can walk me through to the end. I want to stay true to him. I want to keep my part of my commitment to say I will trust you no matter what. No matter what. Our duty is to accept things that come our way and trust him to walk out his will through it. If we can see God's hand in the hearts we experience, it will make them easy to bear. For Joseph, he reconciled with his brothers first because he had the right attitude. He had a perspective of God. You know, we can hold grudges or we can let go and be free and keep our minds and our hearts in God's hand. Those choices we can make when people hurt us. If nothing else, we should at least be grateful that we don't hurt other people. And that brings us to our next point, the promised grace of Joseph for his family. Verses 9 through 13. Joseph said to his brothers, The Lord has sent me here to be a preserver of life. A preserver of life. To nourish the family. To reunite with my family. As is his promised grace. I am here for you. 
and I'm here to make you enjoy life. To live in the most fertile portion of Egypt, Goshen. Because they are nomadic people, Pharaoh gave Joseph the liberty to let them live in the land where they can raise and graze their cattle. Once Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, he charged them now with the responsibility of sharing the good news with their dad, with their family, and all in Canaan. What did Jesus do when he came back? He said to his followers, Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. So here's an example also. Joseph said to his brothers, hurry, go, go tell my dad all that you have seen with your own eyes and bring him so that he can enjoy also. Jesus said to us, go into the world. We're not called to be preachers. We're called to be witnesses. Each one of us who are Christians all we need to do is tell people what God has done in our lives. And that's what Joseph told his brothers. Go. You are witnesses. You've seen. And bring my dad. Bring all your family. Share what you have experienced. And bring all to Egypt and settle here. So he offered them grace, but he offered them responsibility. Jesus did the same to us. We are to tell everyone about Jesus and his glory. We are to tell them there's hope in the person of the Son of God. What a message. What a message. It challenges us to see that Joseph, after all the years, Instead of holding the grudges and dealing with his brothers, what they deserve, he gave them God's grace and reconciled with them. Jesus did the same to us and for us. We have all done somebody wrong. And has been done wrong. Practical lessons from today's message is that we must learn to forgive those who wrong us as far as those whom we have wronged. We must take time to reflect, confess, and restore relationships where possible. To be able to do what Joseph did, we must learn God's sovereign hand is in all things about us. If we are children of God, God has a plan. We should stay connected enough to God that we can see things from his perspective. Is there someone you need to be reconciled with? Is there something you need to be reconciled with? 
read the Genesis story of Joseph again and see where God can lead you. The God we serve as Christians, the God of this book, knows the end. Can we trust him to walk us through? Let us pray. Lord, we are grateful for the example of a man like Joseph. For some of us, maybe going through what he went through. Maybe on a larger or smaller scale. We still have you as our God. Help us, Lord, as we walk through circumstances and situations in our lives that are like Joseph. Give us the grace and the courage to reconcile and to see your bigger plan in our lives. Thank you, Lord. We commend this week and pray that you walk with us and keep us. In the name of Jesus. Amen.